Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to the Risen Nation Church podcast. I pray that this message today impact your life and above all, draw you into a deeper encounter with Jesus. But my message today is, it's, I really do wanna get to worship, so we'll see if we can or not. But, um, but you know, I'm not really interested in growing a ministry. I'm not really interested in growing uh, a church I've, I've been there, done that. And if God brings us more, praise God. You know, if he, if he fills these seats and this building to where we have to move, praise God. But that's not, that's not the vision. That's not the goal. That's not my heart. And so part of the reason why I said I want to just, we could just send it out to, the, to our groups, our house church groups, is because I believe God is building a family, so we talked about family, the order of that, what that means, where we see it in scripture, how covering works. We kind of covered a lot of it on Wednesday night, and I think that it's important that our house hears it. And if you're here for the first time, can you just wave at me? Can we bless God for those visitors? I always forget that visitors may come and they're like, man, these people are crazy or intense. But we love Jesus here. And so I am, as a pastor, I am interested in the kingdom of God being established. I'm interested in his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, right? And so we're not building a ministry, we're building a family. And in the, the context and the confines of family is where the kingdom of God is manifest. I'm gonna say that again. The context and confines of family is where the kingdom of God is manifest. The whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is a picture of family. It's a God that wanted to be a father. He could have said, I'm the God, I'm the manager of your life. He said, I'm the father of your life, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I am more interested in what God is doing with our family than instituting programs to grow a ministry. Are you guys with me? And if you're and if you're visitors this morning, it's your first time, just come along and be grafted in with what God is doing. And I'm not saying we're the only ones. I'm not saying that we have something special, but I think that God is setting the solitary in families. God is setting those that have been vagabond, you know, this this uh, wave now that we see is a vagabond spirit that is on a generation. We go from conference to conference, from altar call to altar call, from pool being Bethesda being stirred to a stirring to a movement. We go to all these different things and we don't have a family that God has called us to. And I believe God has called us to a family. Okay. I said, I believe God has called us to a family. And so my heart and what I want to talk about today is, is, God, I believe in this season is resetting us. And we're coming back to a place of rest. And I need you guys to pull on me because there's not adequate words to what I feel has been burning on my heart really since Wednesday. But God is bringing us back, I believe, to our beginning. He's bringing us back to our beginning. He's bringing us back, I believe, to even the beginnings, the origins of following the cloud of risen nation. And ministry-wise, it may be suicide growing a church, but kingdom-wise, I believe God is actually reducing. And so I've, I've, I've spoken to our staff, to our pastors, to our leaders. We are actually reducing the amount of things we have. Because my biggest fear, can I be vulnerable with you guys? My biggest fear as a leader is that I get so busy and so inundated with things that I can't be quiet enough to hear the voice of God for myself. And I'm hearing ideas, I'm hearing opinions, and that's all great. And we're, we're doing programs and we're doing things for God. But if we ever get out of the place of being with him, seated with him, rested in him, then we are just doing stuff. And so I could work 40, 60 hours a week for my family. 
I could buy them things. I can do all these things for them, can feed them, give them the best life. But if I'm never around, it would be all for nothing. Because at the end of the day, my wife wants me to be home with her. And so we could have a $6 million mansion or a $60,000 shack. The important thing is that I'm home with my family. And so I never want to get to the place as a pastor where we're keeping the engine running and, and keeping the, the fuel on the fire to keep the schedule running. And I felt for months now when I'm finally getting some clarity that God, I believe, is just halting everything. And it doesn't mean we're not going to meet. It doesn't mean a lot's going to change. But I believe that our perspective needs to change. I believe our posture needs to change. And in the kingdom, doing a lot of things doesn't necessarily mean you're more efficient. In the kingdom, doing things doesn't mean you're more effective. It doesn't mean you're accomplishing more. It doesn't mean you're closer to Jesus. You're just doing things. And so I want to get out of this idea today of just doing things. And so I'm going to talk about Sabbath a little bit and what that means. And then we're going to seal it with worship at the end. Okay. It's going to be God willing quick, but we'll see. You never know. Uh, but God is bringing us back, I believe to our Genesis. He's bringing us back to our beginning. And so I told the staff, what does it look like if we have less stuff during the week, but we can just come here and gather whenever and worship Jesus? What does it look like if on a Sunday morning, which is the, you know, like I said, ministry suicide, because you need an offering on Sunday morning to pay the bills. What if I say, stay home and be good parents, be with your children? It's silent in there when I say that. What if instead of doing all these things, we really become one as his body and we really become one with the Father. We really become one with his glory and be his power, his glory, his dominion on the earth because we have spent time with him. And we're not trying to keep, keep the rat wheel going. Are you guys with me? And so God doesn't want you for what you can do for him. God wants you. I know it's so simple, but write it down. God doesn't want you for what you can do for him. God wants you. And so God has really been challenging me that a lot of times in ministry, growing up in ministry, I've seen it all. Uh, but a lot of times in ministry, you have a pastor and then you have like a pastoral team and a staff and then you have the people and everything is motivated to keep the people in the seats. Everything is motivated to keep the people giving. Everything is motivated to keep the people coming. Everything is motivated to keep the people engaged. And we want all that. <laughs> you guys look depressed. Don't be depressed. It's good. Trust me. And what happens is, consequently, what I've seen throughout the years is what happens is you have a staff that becomes a slave to the ministry. And you have staff and pastor team that the Lord has put in our care that the Lord has put in my care that become a slave to serve the people. And the Levites were to serve God in scripture. The Levites were to minister to him and being taken care of very well. And so what happens is we have the machine of keeping the people happy. I'm not coming against you guys. Just hear my heart in this. This is the American church. This is not here. I said, this is not here. So we have this machine of keeping the people happy while there's a small group of underpaid people that are slaving to keep the machine going. Well, me as a father, I'm not doing my job. If the people that have been in my care are, are not having adequate time with their families, are not having adequate time with the Lord, are not being able to get silent before him, that's a problem for me. And most pastors, they just want... Everything, I shouldn't say most pastors. I'm not, I love pastors. I know it seems like I'm always coming against them, but I really do. But we want the, we want the, the, the church to keep going 
and whatever it costs and, and not really care from behind the pulpit how much time Pastor Tanner's spending with his sons and not really care how much time Pastor Landry is home, not really care how much time we are together and we are growing together and we are walking as a family, but let's do everything to keep the ministry going so we can keep the income going. If that is our lot, please let's end it all right now. Because I want to be in a place where family is the most important thing. I want to be in a place where upholding our head, Jesus, is the finality and the, the, the final piece of our faith. What all things will come to is a body being assembled and this head named Jesus Christ to rest on a body not rest on 501c3s that have a lot of money so we can buy a lot of things so we can have more services, so we can raise more money, so we can have a lot of things, so we can have more services. It's a wheel. And so if we're not resting, we are working, we are striving. The rest of God is the covenant God made with us. Rest in God is our inheritance. Resting in him is the goal and the central focus of our relationship and oneness with him because he operates from that place. In Genesis 2, we're going to read it in a minute, he never left that place. And in the seventh day, there was no morning and no end. We are still in that seventh day. It's the only day there wasn't a morning or a night this is an everlasting, ongoing experience in God, and he's never left this position of rest. Think about it. God being omnipotent, eternal, all-knowing, omniscient, omnipresent, all the other, what are those, adjectives? Things, I don't know what they're called. Adverbs. I wasn't paying attention during school. <laughs> um. We can put all the names on them, but think about God being from this seated position of rest, knowing all things, knowing all the calamity, knowing Hamas is going to invade God, uh, Israel, knowing all these terrible things, knowing, seeing it all, putting it in the dominion of man, and he has never left his rest. Think about it. He's seated in his rest. He's seated on a throne. He's not trying to get to his throne and defeat the devil still. The devil's defeated and has been defeated for 2,000 years. He is seated in a place of rest, and he's never left or will ever leave that place. No matter what goes on in your life, no matter what goes on on the news, he knows the end from the beginning, Isaiah 46. He declares your end from the beginning. And so rest is where is the destination. Rest is the being. Rest is the, is the life that we ha must walk into because that's where God is. You guys with me? <clears throat> and so this is a realm. Rest is a realm in God that is the highest realm of living. That from creation, God has sanctified. So rest is the highest realm of living and from the creation of the universe, God, the only thing he sanctified, he created, he made in days one through six. God created, God made. And in day seven, God sanctified. Are you guys with me? So the realm or life of this rest, God has given to us by covenant, meaning that as far as God goes, he will never revoke it. As far as God goes, he will never change. As far as God goes, that is eternal, sealed from the foundation of the earth, that it is a perpetual covenant, Exodus says, for God's people to, to be in this life, posture, and position of rest. Are you guys with me? And so I believe as a ministry, I am so thankful for the years that we have been able to follow the cloud. Are you guys with me? And what God did in June 12th, and every time I think about it, I get teary-eyed. I remember texting my brother on June 13th and saying, just thanking him and, and saying that I, I didn't know that there was a gap in, there was a void, there was something missing in my life. I didn't, it took God 
to just overwhelm me that I realized I was missing something. I was missing a dimension of his presence. I was missing a, mention, a dimension of devotion. I was missing this, this realm in my life of being in his presence that I experienced on June 12th, and nothing will ever take that away from us. And say amen. And that experience will last a lifetime, and we are, continue, we are the fruits of, of what God did in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit we are living in now. But there is a time when Israel went from following the cloud to when they were standing at the promised land and God said, I've given it to you. Go in and possess it. The cloud never went into the promised land. Really, the, the Israelites, the initial, I shouldn't say the initial, the will of God in Exodus 13, we don't have time to get into it. I'm gonna try to remember all these verses. So just write them down. In Exodus chapter 13, the will of God, if you read the beginning of the chapter, the will of God was never for the children of Israel to wander in the wilderness. And we know that he used it. We know that it was, he, he ended up working it all together for good. The, and the will of God, it says that he desired that they would go straight to the wilderness, but because there was Philistines and they would have to war against the Philistines, they would change their mind and go back to Egypt. And at the end of the chapter, it says, and so I sent them a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by the day. So the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud were indications that they were in the wilderness because they weren't able to overcome the ites. So they had to go the long way around because God said, they're gonna change their minds. They don't wanna fight. And so I don't want anyone to think that we are talking about sitting around doing nothing. Don't be weird don't be spooky. That's a weird Christian Pentecostal thing. We're not going to like lay on the floor and do nothing, okay? We are going to advance the kingdom of God. Paul said that I press toward the mark. We're going to keep pressing. So this is a posture of spirit. You guys with me? This is a posture of spirit, but I believe that God is, I am thankful for the years. And, I'm, and I don't mean we're going to, when we said follow the clouds last year, we weren't like, that wasn't a doctrinal thing. We're just saying, follow the Lord, follow the Holy Spirit. You guys know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that anything was said wrong. What I am saying is that my heart posture, and I feel like what the Lord is bringing this community into is a place of, we are at the Jordan. We are at the Jordan. And in, the, in order for the Israelites to overtake the promised land, to defeat all the ites, he said, go in and possess. That's all he told them. He said, don't fear. He said, be of good courage. He said, remember Moses. Remember what the Lord God has commanded you through Moses. And he said, go in and possess. I've given it to you. And the cloud never came back. And so <clears throat> I want to be a people, like Romans says, that are filled with the glory of God. That the, the, the earnest desire of creation is that the sons of God be revealed. And so I want us to get to a place where we are not uh, following some agenda, following some schedule, where we are not following what we should do, what all the other ministries do. We're not following what's good for church growth and following this program and following that program, but a people that are filled, that the cloud becomes your internal posture, that the cloud fills you because what God said to the children of Israel is go and possess it and I will be with you wherever you go. So I want to be a people that are so filled with the glory of God that wherever we go, he's with us. It's the plan from the beginning. I've given, to, uh, I've given them Emmanuel. Unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called. God is with us. Romans 8, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed where? That was really sad. The glory which shall be revealed where? In us. And so for there be to be a glory revealed in us, there has to be this overcoming and this pressing into our rest. The promised land in the Old Testament was a type of the rest of God. It was a type of Sabbath. And we can read all kinds of 
theories on it, and it's more than, you know, a lot of people will believe and just say that like, yeah, this is your experience in heaven. No, I believe we can experience now. There's no indication that you have to die to have this experience. And so the way the children of Israel skirted around the promised land because they were afraid to enter by various things and God had to take care of them. If God constantly, hear my heart in this, if God constantly has to take care of you and cover you and pillar by day and of cloud by day and fire by night and give you manna. That means you're wandering in a wilderness. But God is after a mature sons, mature daughters who can go into the promised land and said, this is mine. God has given us this life. And so the same way the children of Israel skirted around the promised land, the same way the children of God today skirt around this place called rest. It's the same place. We're going to read it. It's the same place of rest that we have must by overcoming Hebrews 4 says, labor, we're going to read what that means. Be diligent, strive to get into this rest. It's kind of like an oxymoron, but you have to overcome. This is why it's not a rest of like doing nothing. There is an action. There's a call to action required here, but there is a overcoming. And because God knew before he even, he didn't even try to get the children of Israel. Like we can go straight down this aisle to the sound booth. He didn't even try that. He's like, they're going to change their minds because they don't want to fight. They didn't know how to fight. So it was his mercy. Are you guys with me? And so I want to be a mature son filled with the Holy Spirit. Is there anyone that wants to be a mature son, a mature daughter that is confident enough and humble enough, not that we have done anything, but we just believe what God's word says. We haven't done anything by ourselves. The Holy Spirit does everything. Somebody say amen. amen. But we can believe the word of God said that when we go, we know God goes with us. What we do, we know God is there. So if we come here in this building seven days a week, God is there. If we don't do anything in this building and, and Eric and I can go to houses and homes, our leaders, and we can be a family, God is there. If I know that you guys are home spending time with your children and being good fathers and mothers, we forget about this thing, being, being husbands and wives that respect each other, that honor one another. If you're coming here and hearing the word every week and I have to counsel you because of your marriage, there's something you're not hearing. I'm sorry. But the word of God, if we hear it, it changes us. It transforms us. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so when our mind is renewed, we understand that we don't have to follow and ask for manna and ask for quail and ask all these things and complain and move around. The state of the church hasn't changed, but we need to enter into this rest that is our covenant from the Lord and our inheritance from creation. But it requires an overcoming, okay? So Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to quickly go through this. Is there water there, babe? Thanks. All right, Genesis chapter 2, let's begin reading in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them. So we learned this a couple weeks ago. We're finished. Someone say finish. All the host of them is all the inhabitants. The Amplified says we're finished. So remember, we learned that you were started or you, you were finished before you started. Verse two. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on, someone say the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Say sanctified. Because in it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. And there's so much to teach on this. We may have to do it over a few weeks, but in it, he sanctified the seventh day and in it, he rested. And so when it says that he sanctified, that word is to consecrate, to dedicate, to be holy. It's to separate or set apart. So from the beginning, God sanctified the seventh day. Follow along. God not only sanctified the rest, read it. 
He sanctified the seven and he rested in that. Are you guys following along? He rested the seven. He rested in the, I'm sorry, he sanctified the seven. He blessed the seventh. And he, re- this is the deepest part of the message. Don't worry. It's like people are like, oh God. I can feel it. It's okay. I need you to get this though. He sanctified, seven is perfection. Seven is completion. Seven is the totality. Seven is the finality. Seven is the perfection, the culmination. When it all comes together, the seven churches in Revelation, the seven candlesticks, there's the seven seals. It's the, it speaks of the church. It's Jerusalem. And so seven is the perfection. And so God sanctified the end. It's saying God sanctified the seven. God sanctified and made holy the completion. I need you guys to get this. God wasn't, God wasn't saying that he rested because he is tired. <laughs> we all know that, right? Okay. That we need a God doesn't get tired. He's spirit. Okay. But God rested in the sanctification, the perfection, the holiness of the seven. God rests where he knows you're ending up. God is resting in your ending. God rests in your seven. Your perfection and your completion is where God made holy. And so for those of you that have teenage kids, whatever circumstances they may be in that you may be praying for, they may be battling, fighting through, whatever things that we are overcoming, their seventh day is sanctified. Your seventh day is sanctified and God has rested in it. And so God is from our destiny. God is from our completion. God is at the finish line, pulling us into his finished work. What he has already done, despite our experiences, our failures, our struggles now, this is so good. You ought to be happy. Despite what we are going through now, he is pulling us into his rest. He's pulling us into this holy day, this holy perfection, this holy completion, this holy consummation of finished. That you were finished before you started. He declares your end from the beginning. And so he has sanctified the seventh and rested in it. We got that part? So God sanctified the finished work and rested in it. So before there was a work, he finished it and rested. That's how our God works. Think about that. Like we get caught up in like our little issues. We have things. We have demons. We have thorns. We, yeah, maybe not. Not me. Just may make that clear. You know, we have to fight them is what I mean. We gotta, they are hanging around. <laughs> but he sanctified the finished work before there was a work. He finished you before you started. Like, I'm going to keep saying this and trumpeting this till something breaks through because our mind is trying to catch up, but how many spirit is leaping? Or your spirit leaps, but your mind doesn't understand. Follow the spirit, okay? Walk in the spirit. All right. So he declares our end from the beginning, and there's a place in God called Sabbath, called seven, called rest, that he rests in, and he has made it holy. He set it apart. He's made, he said this Sabbath. So Sabbath is just an observance of the seventh day. You guys with me? And so when we, the word Sabbath really isn't in uh, the, the creation story. We hear it, we see it later, and it's just an observance of the seventh day being sanctified. And so in that Sabbath is an observation, it's observing that God committed to us a covenant of rest. It's a reminder that this is our inheritance. And I pray that we could enter rest today. I pray that we can enter promised land today. Turn to um, Deuteronomy chapter 12. 
while you do that, I'll read Exodus 31, 13, and just go and read Exodus 31 on your own time. Uh, we just don't have time today, but <clears throat> maybe we can do a, a part two in the coming weeks. But as for you, verse, verse 13, Exodus 31 in the Amplified, it says, but as for you, say the Israelites, you shall most certainly observe my Sabbaths, for it is a sign, say sign, between me and you throughout your generations, so that you may know without any doubt and acknowledge that I am the Lord who sanctifies you and sets you apart for myself. That is so good. That God sanctified a day so that we would know that we can become the day that he rests in. That we are the finished work that he rests in. That before we were started, that he finished us to rest in us. And he rests from the knowledge of that. That's what it says. They know without any doubt, Exodus 31, 13, please study it. And acknowledge that I am the Lord who sanctifies you and sets you apart for myself. Somebody say amen. All right. So Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 5. But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for a dwelling place, and there you shall go. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hands, and vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your household to which the Lord has, God has blessed you. Verse eight, and you shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For as yet you have not come to the rest and inheritance which the Lord is, your God is giving you. Someone say giving you. But when you cross over the Jordan, the Jordan is the place of the descending. It's the place where you are baptized. It's a place where you die and the life of Christ comes to life. That is the, the threshold of the promised land. When you cross over to the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit and gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety, comma, verse 11, then there will be a place. Say, then there. Then there will be a place where the Lord your God chooses his name to abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, and it goes through all the offerings again, your choice offerings, which you vow to the Lord. So verse 11 is saying, if we want to become a resting place, if we want to be a house for him, a habitation for the Lord, does anyone want that? If we want to be the place where his name abides, we must first enter into his rest. He said, you have to go and dwell in what I've given you. I need you to inherit this. I need you to, to grab hold of the rest I've given you from all your enemies and dwell in safety. That's dwell in peace. Then there will be the place after that happens. Then I will choose a place and I will abide among you. So you guys see how important it is to God, how important the rest of God is. In Exodus 3, 17, it says, and I have said, and I, and I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Chebusites, to a land flowing, someone say flowing, flowing with milk and honey. And so God is waiting for a people to be his everlasting habitation to understand the will, the purpose, the intent of God, that he doesn't want to live in a tent. He doesn't want to live in a building. He doesn't want to live in a box, but temple made not with hands, temples made not with stones, but he wants you and us as his body to be his everlasting habitation. There's one ingredient that we've missed. It doesn't come by coming to church a lot. It doesn't come by doing all the things and checking all the boxes and practicing all the things that we have to do to, that we can say we are a habitation of God and, and we're good Christians and we've done all the things, but it only comes by rest. It only comes by a place of pursuing 
this promised life. We know in the land, uh, in the Old Testament, what is a land is a life in the new, right? And so this promised life, this promised covenant that God has given you of rest must be attained before he can build uh, and abide his name in you. And so it says, I'm going to bring you out of the affliction of Egypt. I'm going to bring you out of the affliction of what has oppressed you. I'm going to bring you out of the affliction of the world and, the, and its system. And I'm going to bring you to another land that is inhabited by a bunch of ites. <laughs> he didn't give them like, a, he didn't fly in a jet or give them like a bridge to the promised land and there's rainbows and candy canes. He said, I'm gonna bring you out of the affliction of Egypt. And by the way, I'm gonna bring you into the land that I've given you. It's an amazing land. It's an amazing life. This life is full of rest. It's full of joy. It's full of peace. It's full of harmony. It's full of love. There's no lack in this place. It's flowing with milk and honey, meaning it's flowing with things that only God can produce. Man can't produce these things. It's flowing with things that only God can produce. This is a place where your striving ends and God's working in your life and God's ability begins. It's where my ability ends and his begins. It's where my life ends and his begins. This is what rest means. It's not a resting as in laying around being lazy. Don't be, I don't like lazy people. What it means is it is a, it is a state of being. It's a mindset. It's a life of strife is no more, where I don't strive, I don't struggle, I don't work, but Jesus is my life and my light, and it's him who I follow. And so in this place, he's saying, I've taken you out of this Egypt, and I've given you this land, and, I'll, and I just, I'm going to tell you how beautiful it is, but there's these little things that are called ites in there. <laughs> and I'm going to take you the long way, 40 years in the wilderness, for an 11-day walk, because I don't think you're man enough to go the straight 11 days. I don't think, children of Israel, you've been enslaved. This is where we've been. We are people, not we, but as a whole, we have been a people that are enslaved to circumstances. We're enslaved to belief systems. We're enslaved to experiences. We're enslaved to Jesus is coming back to rescue us out of here and to the hell with earth and everybody else. We're enslaved to doctrines of forget about everything else. I'm just gonna be a good boy until I, I get to heaven. We've been enslaved by doctrines of that you're not an overcomer, you're a wicked sinner and nothing will ever come good of your life and Jesus, by his grace, saves you and maybe one day you'll be able to be uh, have a street of gold in heaven somewhere. We've been enslaved by wrong thinking and wrong mindset. The freedom of the promised life, the freedom of rest is I have given you all things that pertain unto life and godliness now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand now. This is the rest. This is the promised land. And because we see the ites, we see that it's an uphill battle to get to this place, we retreat. Turn to Hebrews chapter three, and we'll end here. I've been studying um, since Wednesday about Elijah and Elisha. We learned that on Wednesday night. Uh, we had some of our leaders here. And if you actually read this, this, this story in 2 Kings, when Elijah's running, remember he flees from Jezebel? It's kind of funny, like, <laughs> I mean, not the Jezebel part, but like the whole story. I re, uh, you know, if you read it, you know, we, we quote that verse, like a wind came and knocked over the rocks and God wasn't in the wind. Remember? And the lightning came and he, his voice wasn't in the lightning. That was when he was running. And, all the, and, and we quote it like it's this like amazing, like majestic, like glorious thing, but he was in the still small voice. But if you keep reading, the still small voice comes out of the same cave that he was just in. 
And it says the same thing to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And so sometimes we, we wait for this still small voice when God is like, I've already told you what to do. Like he fled Jezebel. He ran for his life when he should have defeated her, when he should have killed her and Ahab. And he fled for his life and he went to a cave. When he gets in the cave, God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then Elijah flees again, comes back to the same cave and he hears a still small voice. We make it so spiritual. And he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> like, Sometimes we, we, we get spiritual and we want to do all these things because we believe God is, is leading us and he may be doing that, but there is power in standing firm in what God has told you to do. There's power in standing firm of, I remember what my position and what my calling is. I'm scared out of my mind. Like Eli Jezebel did something to Elijah. She terrified him. This man of God that called fire from heaven and killed armies, this lady terrified him. And, uh, but Elijah had this real fear that he ran from. And God never told him to do that. And we have these fears that are in our heads, insecurities and things that we run from. But I'm here to remind you, what has God told you? Who has God said that you are? You are the righteousness of God in Christ. We've learned that you are the kingdom of God on the earth. You are the righteousness of God. What else do you need? And so we, we wait for all these, God to reveal all these new things and move us into new territories and all this kind of things and move us into new schedules and houses and church, like all this stuff. And we're always pushing for the next thing. I think God is asking a generation today, what are you doing here? Are you resting in what I have finished or are you striving around the wilderness? There's a lot of works in the wilderness. There was a lot of doing. There was a lot of building. There was a lot of complaining. There's a lot of activity in the wilderness. In the promised land, it's rest and it's victory. And it's living every day knowing that we have the victory. All right. Ephe uh, not Ephesians. Hebrews chapter 3. And we're going to start reading in verse 16. For who having heard rebelled... Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear? He's talking about God here. They would not enter my rest, but to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter in because of what? Unbelief. Therefore, since a promise remains, say a promise remains, resignation, a promise remains of entering into his rest, lest let us fear. It's the only time in scripture where it's saying, fear this. Like it's, it's encouraging fear. If you're going to fear something, fear this, that you come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard, here's the key, did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those that heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although, someone say, although, the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place on of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. He's still resting on the seventh day. He's still resting from the place of completion. They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains that some must enter, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, today, after such a long time, it has been said, if you will hear my voice and do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, verse 8, he would not afterwards have spoken of it another day. Verse nine, there remains, say remains. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. Can I get the worship team to come back? There remains therefore a rest. For he who has entered his rest has also seeked from his works as God did from his. So the works are yours, the rest is his. Let us therefore by diligence, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, 
lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And so we see two keys of entering into this rest, unbelief and disobedience. Or I I should say two keys that prohibit us from entering this rest are unbelief and disobedience. This word remain, when it says there remains therefore a rest for the people of God, it just means forsaken. There is a whole generation that has forsaken God's rest. There is a whole generation that has forsaken this seventh Sabbath day where God rests and abides in the finished work. We have forsaken it because we are too busy with our programs and we're too busy with our lives and we're too busy with this and we're moving around doing this and that for the kingdom and God is calling us back to rest today. I say God is calling us back to rest today. I don't want to forsake the covenant that God gave me. I don't want to forsake the inheritance that's rightfully mine. That all the ites lived in the land that belonged to the children of Israel. There is only one life. Someone say one life. There is only one life that is suitable for you and it's called rest. Every other life will fail. There is only one land that is suitable for you and it's called the promised land. Every other way of life will fail. But it requires a hitting head on of these stinking ites. It requires a hitting head on of things that are fighting against us to enter into rest. And today I want to take a heavenly machete and cut up some ites that are, that are stopping God's people from entering into his Sabbath. Here's the key. Verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent That word diligent is speedily, quickly. It also means to study. I love this. Let us therefore study to enter that rest. He's given you a playbook for entering the promised land. It's right here. It's the same word in 2 Timothy where it says, study to show yourselves approved. Same exact word. Here is the key. This is how we overcome. We don't overcome with flesh and blood. We don't overcome with more programs, with more this and more that. We overcome our ites by the word of God. We have to be drenched, covered by the word of God. We have to be obsessed with the word of God. If you are having trouble hearing God speak, you're not in his word enough because he speaks on 66 books of the Bible every single day. If you are having trouble hearing God's voice, get in his word. If you are having trouble overcoming ites, get in his word. If you are having trouble believing who you are, if you are having trouble with this and that, get in his word. This is the way to rest. This is the way to the promised land. Guys, this is so important. His word is the way to this promised life. I've covenanted this life for you. Here's a playbook. Go live it. I read this about what the word approved means. It means, it's really cool. So in 2 Timothy 2.15, write it down, study it later. It means to show, study to show yourself to prove. That word approved means acceptable currency. And I want to read a little. A little statement on this, what this word means. So it means acceptable currency. It means particularly in coins and in money, acceptable, pleasing, useful. In the ancient world, there was no banking system as we know it today, no paper money. All money was made from metal, heated until liquid, poured into molds, allowed to cool. This is what God did in the beginning. He created us in day six. He formed us in day seven. Formed, all that means is like a clay on a potter's wheel. He formed us into shape. He poured us into a mold. When the coins were cooled, it was necessary to smooth off the uneven edges. The coins were comparatively soft. And of course, many people shaved shaved them closely. In one century, more than 80 laws were passed in Athens to stop the practice of shaving down the coins then in circulation. But some money changers who were men of integrity would accept no counterfeit money. They were men of honor who put only genuine full-weighted money into circulation. And these men were called 
dokamos, or it is the word approved. So these, these men were the one, that's what it means to show yourself approved. It's useful. It's being able to be accepted as currency. It's someone that God has molded and shaped to be able to put into currency, someone that God can trust with his word. See, the the children of Israel needed the cloud when they were wandering around the wilderness, but it took a Joshua and Caleb, Caleb and someone he could trust to lead God into the promised land. And so studying to show yourself approved means study to show yourself trustworthy. Are you guys getting this? It's study to show yourself as this is a coin of $1 and it's acceptable currency in the kingdom of God. Acceptable currency in the kingdom of God is you are a new creation. Acceptable currency in the kingdom of God is thoughts like I am the righteousness of God. Acceptable currency in the kingdom of God is thoughts like I am more than an overcomer through Christ who strengthens me. I am more than a conqueror. I am accepted in the beloved. There is no ite that can stand up against me because I have studied to show my worth in the kingdom of God. I have studied God's word to show myself valuable. I'm not a fake coin, fake currency. God can use me for the kingdom of God. God can stick me in a vending machine for the kingdom of God. God can put me wherever and I'm gonna be useful for what he's identified me for. If he wants to spend me as $100, I'm gonna be useful as $100. Are you guys getting this? Study to show yourself approved valuable, useful in the kingdom of God. And we have vagabonds who never get in the word. And then we wonder why we have to have altar calls every week and people are confused and we need marriage counseling. We need this. I'm not saying those things are bad, but maybe we don't, you don't need a pastor to lay hands on you again and stir the waters of your life again so you could jump in. Maybe you need to have an encounter with the man, Jesus, who lives and breathes on every page, who is the volume of the book. Maybe we need to get back in our closet again. Maybe like the church at Ephesus, we need to find first love again. Maybe we need to get a little bit more religious about our secret place. Get back to devotion with Jesus. Stop trying to fill voids in our lives with programs. And I'm sorry, even prayer rooms and worship services and everything that's supposedly godly, we can fill voids. We can fill voids in our lives of not being fulfilled by hanging out with others and doing all these things. I know people that are so addicted to social gatherings because they can't be alone. I want to be alone with him again. I want to fall in love with him again. I want to rest with him again. The rest we had from the beginning that he sanctified this perfection called rest. He sanctified the seventh. And he said, this is perfect, finished, complete, and holy. And in that, I'm going to rest him. So God is after a people that are his rest. God is after a generation that are his Sabbath, that are the seventh day, people that he sanctifies for himself. He said, these ones are mine and I can rest in them where we rest in him and he can rest in us. But like Deuteronomy 12, we just read it. We have to enter into his rest to build a house for him. Thank you again for joining us for this podcast. We pray that above all, your life was touched by his presence. If you're interested in learning more about the church or getting plugged in, you can visit us at www.risennation.org or follow us on social media to stay up to date with all that God is doing here. We love you guys. God bless.